I was thinking about communion this morning. We, we try to take communion um, roughly about once a month. We try to do it. And I was just praying to the Lord over communion this morning. <clears throat> I was praying over communion and I was just... Uh, how many uh, here believe that uh, communion should be special? You know, that it is... There's two ordinances that God has given the church and one is water baptism and the other is uh, communion. And communion is just um, enjoying our Lord. And sometimes communion can get uh, um, just to be a common thing. And uh, sometimes we come in here and we don't realize who He is and what He is. And so this message was purely out of me praying over communion this morning. And I was looking in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you can turn there if you'd like. And just trying to be obedient to the Lord this morning. But as I was studying 1 Corinthians 10, it's kind of the um, the context for 1 Corinthians 11. So 10 and 11 go into the table of the Lord and um, kind of set up a uh, context for what we're going to study this morning. <clears throat> but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says this, Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact. Now the word ignorant there is not necessarily what we think about when we think about the word ignorant in our vocabulary. That word actually means to ignore. Okay, It doesn't mean that somebody isn't intelligent. It just means that they're Ignoring. How many know we ignore a lot? We are commonly ignorant. I'm ignorant. That's okay to say, right? I ignore things a lot. All right, which makes me ignorant. <laughs> All right. I would not have you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were under the cloud and they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud. Boy, what a way to be baptized in the cloud. They were in the cloud and they were in the cloud twice. So not surprisingly enough, the Spirit of God just kept working on me this morning about being in the cloud. And that excited me, in the cloud, what does that mean? And so the Holy Spirit just kind of started taking that and started really developing that in my mind. He goes on, he says, they were all under the cloud, they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Um, a lot of commentators will say that that rock actually followed them around. <laughs> okay, That everywhere they went, they had spiritual water because of the rock that accompanied them. Isn't that amazing? God kind of sent a water supply with them. And the rock accompanied them. How many have ever had a rock accompany you? Some of you have had a pet rock maybe, but it doesn't flow with water, right? Okay. He goes on. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. 
Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they got up to an indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. They were killed by snakes and we do not and do not grumble as some of them did. They were killed by a destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, bring your word to life, Lord. Let it not be words on a page, Lord God. Let it not be words of death. Let it be words of life, Lord. Father, I pray that we would awaken to you and your presence, Lord. Change us, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Corinthians were a very interesting people. They um, lived in an area that was an isthmus. I can't even hardly say the word. But the isthmus means it was separated by by a sea on both sides, an ocean on either direction. And they were a very important city because most sailors did not want to go around the landmass. They wanted to go over the slight little four-mile-wide piece of land to get to the other side. So they saved a lot of time by finding a way to get across that little landmass to the other ocean. So there were two giant trade routes on each side of the ocean, and they were the little stretch of land in between. And so they were a very important geographical area. They were very wealthy because of that. They actually made a road, they paved a road across it, and uh, they would actually take a ship out of the water and lay it on that road, and they would drag it all across to the other side, and they'd go to the other ocean. Okay, so it was a very important city. Uh, it was a city that was known for a really wild city. Okay, the sailors would all go to the city, and on top of this mountain overlooking the city in a panoramic view of the ocean was the Temple of Aphrodite. And so this city was very wicked because of the temple of Aphrodite. Uh, five, six hundred years before Christ, uh, they say there were up to a thousand prostitutes that would descend on the city. And it was just a very wicked city. So sexual immorality was a big thing in this city. And uh, they said that uh, city is not for everybody. Basically, it was the kind of city you would say what stays in Corinth, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It was just a really bad city. And uh, this city had a lot of um, um, a lot of idol worship. Uh, they every other year the second largest Olympic, uh, second only to the Olympics, but the athletic games were held in this city in honor of Poseidon. So you had Aphrodite, you had Poseidon. It was steeped rich in idol worship. And uh, right in the middle of this city, uh, Paul and his missionary journeys begins to build a church. And how many know it's a good thing to see how this church grows and develops because that city isn't a lot different than America. These were new believers that were trying to learn how to love God in a society that was very wicked. And Paul spent a lot of time in Corinth, uh, probably second to only maybe Ephesus did he spend more time. So on his journeys, he would go and he would visit Corinth. He sent several letters uh, to her in the Bible, but there was one or two more that he actually wrote to them. And he was trying to help them uh, live a loving Christian life. 
Okay, he wanted them to uh, be so close to God and so full of the love of God that they changed that city. And so God today is doing the same thing to us. He was talking to them about the Lord's Supper. And he was talking about, you know, all the pagan influence that's around them. And he was trying to focus them in. And so he's talking to these new believers in Corinth. And he's trying to teach them a lesson about how to stay away from temptation and how to fall in love with God. I mean, that's a great message. And so that's the message God gave me this morning was the in love part. Because Paul didn't really address as much the idol. He really focused a lot on the love of God. And by focusing on the love of God, he compared the love that they had in the city, which was lust, and compared it to the love of God that he was trying to teach them. And the love of God ultimately was the thing that was the antidote for what they were experiencing in that city. And today, as we live in the United States of America, I like the way I say United States of America. That sounds really good. I, I'll do that again. We live in the United States, and we just see all around us, you know, immorality. But God has separated us. You know, He separated us to be sanctified and used for a purpose. And God ex- fully expects... His grace to infiltrate our hearts in a way that we're different from everybody else. There's just something distinguishable about us. And if there's not, we're doing it wrong, church. And when I was reading that this morning, I just, all week I felt in a sense that God was preaching that message. But I never could put my finger on it. And that bothers me. Because I can, I could come up with a lot of really good sounding messages. But I want to put my finger on what God's trying to capture today. This message for this communion. And he just kept showing me the cloud. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that your forefathers were all under the cloud. They passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud And I just started thinking about what is this cloud? And by the way, my title of my message is The Canopy of God. Now, how am I going to get the canopy of God? How many know what a canopy is? It's this thing, maybe you go to a ball game, you spread it out over the top of you and it shades you, you know, keeps you cool. You know, the canopy can be used for a lot of different things, but the scripture that we're reading... Um, refers to the canopy of God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5. Church, I don't know if you realize how much God loves you. How much He cares about you. How much God wants to be a part of your life. Isaiah 4, 5, this is a word of promise here. In fact, it starts in verse 2. This is uh, subtitled, The Branch of the Lord. It says, In that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the, pri- will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstreams from Jerusalem by spirit of judgment and spirit. Fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion 
over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a flaming fire by night over all the glory will be a mine says canopy so this glory of God is shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place storms and the rain. Wow. That's a promise for the future. That's our promise. That means the... the. Let me recognize this cloud of glory. This cloud of glory has a history in the Bible. Okay, and we're going to learn that history in just a few moments here. But God is trying to show us a picture of a canopy, and under this canopy is every blessing that God has. This is grace. If grace had a picture, it would be a canopy. Okay, and and there's one thing you have to understand when they hear this. When the Jewish mind begins to hear what the canopy is, they recognize it. They recognize exactly what he's talking about, and we just don't. But the canopy is a thing called a chupa. I probably pronounced it totally wrong. But this is the Jewish word for a wedding canopy. How many have ever seen a canopy with four poles over the top of a wedding? And this is the common Jewish canopy. C-H-U-P-P-A-H. I don't even know how it's pronounced. Is it an H-C? Okay, because mine sounded like a character from a Star Wars movie. I'm familiar with the word, so I apologize. But anyway, this is a canopy over a Jewish wedding. Now, one thing I'm very familiar with is this canopy literally represents, it literally represents the household of that groom. This is his promise to her that I will take care of you. In fact, when they ever get married, when they become betrothed, when they make a commitment to be married to one another, uh, he will commonly put a f- drink of the fruit of the vine right there in the middle of that canopy underneath it. The canopy canopy represents canopy represents a commitment to marriage. Now they're betrothed, but they're not yet married. And so, what he asked the bride to do in order to be engaged or betrothed. He asks her to come underneath the canopy of his care and his love and his protection. And if she will drink that, then she has uh, committed, she has uh, basically yielded her life to him. And so by drinking that, she accepts his protection, his canopy that is spread over her. And what God is telling you today, in fact, he goes later in this chapter and he says, Church... When it comes to Holy Communion, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Now, if you want an identification of what the cup of devils is, see me after and I'll show you. But there are two cups that he's giving them under this canopy. He's actually saying, either you love the Lord or you don't. He's saying, either you desire the cup of the Lord or the cup of devils, or demons. Literally, uh, demons is actually the, the intelligent ones. 
Wow, that makes it a little different. The cup of demons or the cup of the intelligent ones. Wow. So he begins to um, compare this cloud by day and this fire by night as a canopy that is over his beloved. And in the Old Testament, you begin to see a loving God. He wants to reveal himself. In fact, there's a constant conversation with Moses and the Lord, and he's saying, reveal yourself to me. Now, how many know when a groom becomes betrothed to a wife, he begins to reveal who he is? Now, what elements of a man, you know, when he begins to reveal who he is, he wants to show the positive attributes. Now, Moses began to ask, turn to, turn to Exodus chapter 33. Moses, on an individual basis, had a place called the Tent of Meeting. And again, my notes aren't very good today. In fact, Chupa was thrown on me this morning. So I was like, I had never heard that word before. It sounds like a Star Wars character, really. I'm actually very impressed that you know so much about weddings and love. That is very impressive. I should have called James this morning. It is 33 says... In fact, the verse I read this morning is verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, Lord, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the earth, on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything you have asked, I, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause, I will cause my goodness. You know, you think God's going to reveal himself to Moses, and you don't expect that, do you? Moses, when you see me, you're going to see my goodness. He reveals himself in his glory, and it's how good he is. Do you see the bridegroom trying to reveal himself to the bride? I'm good. When you get to know me, you're going to realize my goodness. He goes on. I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, I will compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see it and live. Down in 34, chapter 34. Again, then the Lord came down, verse 5, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses, and what happened? He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and generous, or the compassionate and gracious God, He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the Father to the third and fourth generation. He revealed Himself again in the cloud. Did you see the God that was revealed in the cloud again? It was goodness first is revealed. 
And the second one is my loving, he said, my compassion and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You see that Moses, with this cloud, is getting a vision of how much God loves him, how much God loves his people. And this cloud is just surrounding Moses at this moment. Moses is in his presence. And Moses is experiencing how good and how wonderful God is. And God is saying, that cloud is like a canopy over your life. It's like a wedding canopy where I'm promising you certain things and I want you to drink of my blood, which is my covenant, because when you drink it, you're you're going to be taken care of. And I want you to see a few things here with the cloud. Because they're true about grace and they're true about your life. If we stay in the Lord. These are warnings. Remember, we're going to get in the warning in a minute. But these are warnings to stay under His canopy. God doesn't want us to venture away from His canopy at all. doesn't want us to venture away from His grace. And He wouldn't warn us, church, if it wasn't possible. How many know it's possible to venture out of His canopy So he begins to talk to Israel. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 40, verse 36. Just begin to look at this cloud. 40, 36. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, this is verse 34, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because, because the cloud had settled upon it. The glory of the Lord filled the temple and all the travels of the Israelites. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out. Until the day it lifted, so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all of their travels. Now how many, when you read the Bible, put your name in there? Because not only was there a tent of meeting that was in the camp, there was also Moses' tent that was outside the camp. And the cloud of God's glory just filled that place. In fact, it says Joshua would never leave there. Joshua wanted to be there all the time in the presence of God. But did you notice everywhere the presence of God went, they set out. They began to move with the Spirit of God. And you know, God is calling this church to do that. How many know sometimes the Spirit of God, and all this Spirit of God is, is it's drawing you closer to Him. I mean, he's, this is an engagement cloud. Okay, this is a cloud that says, I'm going to lead you to the day that we walked hand in hand in the kingdom. How many know all of us need to know about this cloud? We need to stay really close because it's the blessing and the canopy of God, every blessing that God has. In fact, a little later he says, there's a cup of Lord, cup of devils, table of the Lord, table of demons. And it's spread out in front of us. God is spreading this table of all of his goodness, everything that God is. He wants you to get a vision of it. But if you never get a vision of His glory, you don't know how good He is. You don't know how much He cares about you. You don't know how much He wants to guide you, church. And see, the church is looking for a sign. Uh Uh-oh. Moses said, give me a sign that you're with me. 
And everybody wants a sign. Give me a sign that you're with me, God. But God said, no, I'll go with you. In fact, I won't even be with you. I'll be in front of you. Did you notice that he allowed Moses to see the back of him? (laughs) I think there's a reason for that. Number one, he couldn't see his face. But number two, that's what he would see the whole time. Because he would be going out in front of Moses. Let me know if you ever have a guide and he really knows what he's doing and he's really moving. You just see the back of him. Okay, you're like, hey, hold on, I'm, I'm following you, I'm following you. And Moses was just following the glory of God everywhere that he went. And God wants us to know. In fact, you say, well, why is this such a big deal with the temptations the Corinthians had and things that they were struggling with? Why is it a big deal? Because God went ahead of them. Some of you are so far ahead of God, you're never going to hear his voice. You're so far ahead of him. It's like, I gotta do this in my life. I gotta do that in my life. I've gotta do this in my life. Why don't you fall in love with Jesus first? Why don't you just say, God, whatever is not making me closer to you, take it out of my life. You know what they are. It might be the job you're at. Or maybe God wants you at that job. You know, maybe it's, um, things that you're doing in your life that doesn't make you closer to God. God's saying, The antidote really for this paganism that's around you and this lust that's around you and this immorality that's around you is just fall in love with God. God wants people that love Him so much that they really don't have room in their lives for things that draw them away from the Father. How many know the Israelites? Think about this. This cloud led them out of Egypt. I want you to think how hard this is, okay? They literally had God holding them by the hand and walking them through the wilderness. I mean, they went out of Egypt. They went across the Red Sea, and it says it looked like walls were on the side, and it was completely dry. They went through, and here's something real interesting. Look at Exodus 14, 19. Exodus fourteen nineteen. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the heart of the Egyptians... So they will go in after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through descendants. Okay. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horses. Listen to this. The angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of the cloud also moved from in front of them and stood behind them between them and the armies of Egypt and Israel. You see the cloud again? Everywhere that you go in your life, God is going to be ahead of you. He's already looking for better pastures. He's already looking to answers for your problems. We're we're so full of anxiety, but God is ahead of us. God is our canopy. God is the one who cares for us and loves us. And if we love Him with an everlasting love, if we understand what this means... 
And we love God that much and we know how much He loves us and we've drank of that cup and we said, I'm yours forever. There's no anxiety. Now the enemy's trying to catch me off guard. The enemy's trying to attack me. Think how terrified they were when they seen the army of Pharaoh. And I want you to think how terrified you are when the enemy comes against your life. And here comes the enemy ready to attack and guess who withdraws from the front goes to the back. God stands in between the enemy and you. And God is protecting you. See, this is God spreading out the canopy and saying, everything in your life I'm going to take care of. And that's what He was doing with the children of Israel. That's why He's given this history lesson. He's given a history lesson, He said, because you need to learn from the past. He said, there was a group of people here that I loved so much, nobody could ever touch them. I provided everything they needed. I put a rock to follow them around a wilderness. And there was a rock that flowed with water. They were never thirsty. They had bread that literally grain came from heaven and fed them with bread. Uh, When they got hungry for meat, I caused the winds to blow giant birds and land in their lap. He said, I love these people so much and never has there been a people on the face of the earth that were shown more love than I showed that nation. I protected them. I did everything for them. And he's saying, watch out. Because I love you with the same everlasting love. Do not forget about me. I am your betrothed. I'm the one who died for you and here you are at my table And I'm just telling you, don't forget about me. Continue to drink out of the cup of the Lord. Continue to love me with the same everlasting love. Look at another one here. Exodus 13, 21. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel at any time. Think about this. God loves His people so much He's revealing Himself. The light is revelation. And you say, man, why do I have so much trouble with temptation? Why do I have so much trouble loving God? Because God hasn't revealed Himself to you yet. If God reveals Himself to you and He lights your path, That's a well-lit path home, okay? The things that trip us up in this world is because of a lack of love and a lack of understanding of who He is. These people were dabbling. They were dabbling in some of the pagan feasts. Trust me, this place was very immoral. Five, six hundred years before, there were a thousand prostitutes. But in the time of Christ, it still was a very sexually immoral place. And what Paul was trying to say is, the reason that they're dabbling is because I'm not enough. That's the reason you struggle with temptation, is because your love for me, you don't feel like I can fulfill your desires. And so that's why he said they want to drink out of another cup. They want to drink out of a cup that is not my cup, because I don't satisfy my people. Isn't that sad? And God was calling the church at Corinth. He used um, He used God's love to tell them to stay pure. He used um, 
the love that he showed for Israel to, to show his purity. He said that bodies were scattered all over the desert as an example for us today. I believe that we should pay attention to those four examples that he gives here. Like, look with me, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Like I said, my notes are terrible here, so forgive me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our sights on evil things as they did. Now these examples occurred to keep us from setting our sights on evil things like they did. So who are they? Let's find out. So do not be idolaters as some of them were, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan rivalry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 of them died. What happened was Moses had delivered these people. They followed the cloud all the way to Mount Sinai. You remember the story? God was gingerly leading them. In fact, not only did he lead them out of Egypt, he gave them all the riches that came out of Egypt. I mean, these people were literally giving them things saying, get out of here. You know, we, we can't have you anymore. You're destroying everything with these plagues, you know, that are happening to us. So they were just giving them everything. So instantly this nation became rich. Instantly God was leading them by the hand. God was literally taking them by the hand and just walking them to the wilderness. They could see the cloud over their head. How would you like to leave your house every day? And God's glory cloud followed you everywhere you went. I mean, it's really pretty uh, descriptive here of what happened. I mean, it's just kind of amazing, really. And uh, they walk out the door, and boy, there it was. You know, they would just follow it, and then it'd settle down, and, and people could actually uh, go and inquire of the Lord under that cloud. If they wanted to inquire of the Lord, they'd just go to that cloud, and they could inquire of the Lord. And the cloud would rise up, and they'd say, well, let's move. They would move again. God almost embarrassingly led them everywhere. Moses leaves them for a little while and says, hey, I'm going up to this mountain to receive from the Lord. Moses is gone just a little bit too long. So what do they do? They rise up to play. And it says they began to um, give offerings to idols. They fashioned themselves a uh, sacred cow. They, uh, they started partying and dancing and sexual immorality is basically what happened. Well, they came out of the mountain, and Joshua said, sounds like war's in the camp. It's not war, he said. He said, these people um, have basically rebelled against God. And so it came down, and here's this people that God had poured everything into them, loved them, cared for them, and they basically said, Moses isn't coming back. Egypt has everything we need. You see that? He's using that as an example to us. Now, what does that mean to us? That means some of us have to be really cautious. All of us have to be really careful. Because sometimes we'll go back to our homes, and I don't know what it is. It might be boredom. It might be recreation. I don't know what it is, but sometimes we totally abandon God. And we totally lose our commitment to God 
And we say to ourselves, you know what? I need to drink out of the world's cup. Not the world cup, like soccer cup. All right. I have to, drink, I have to do that every once in a while because I'm kind of tense when I talk. So sometimes we want to drink out of the cup. The Bible calls it the cup of Babylon, which means the world. And sometimes we want to drink out of that. And sometimes we just totally forget God. How many think we do that? And he's just saying, be really careful. Don't do that. You know, continue to love God, and God is enough for our life. How many know that? If I reject the world and I give myself 100% to God, He's more than enough for me. He's never failed me. I've given everything to God, and He's never failed me. The second thing they did, we should not test the Lord as some of them did. Turn to Exodus 17.2. says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. I don't even know how to pronounce that either. But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why don't you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. They grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And go, I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah or Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled, and they they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? You see how they tested the Lord? They uh, said, is the Lord among us or not? Now what more could God have done to show that He was among them? I mean, He did everything that He possibly could do to say it. And He was trying to find out, do they really know who I am? Do they really know about my glory and my goodness and my mercy and my love? People never figured it out. They never did get a vision of God and who He was. Because if they would have known who God was, they would have known that He's not the kind of God that makes you starve to death. Not the kind of God that leaves you thirsty. He said, if you hunger and thirst, you will be filled. He says, I have a water that they know not of that you will never thirst again. And so what He was trying to find out is, do these people even know me or do they even want to know me? And I could tell you this right now, and this is where God didn't uh, lead me so much in the other areas, but God said the grumbling. The grumbling. If the first thing you think about is the man of God whenever you're going through a hard time, your trust in God's not where it needs to be. How many know that? The first thing you say is, well, the man of God. They wanted to stone Moses. Moses, turn to Numbers. I'll give you another example. Just see where what they did immediately. <clears throat> I 
Our Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, it says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fail by, fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Do you see the grumbling there? And all this is is an indication that they don't trust God. How many of us have ever been in hard times in our life? Now I want you to be really uh, understanding of these people because they were pushed to the brink. They really were. I mean, they went to a level of thirst that maybe nobody in here has ever experienced. So they really needed water to live. But he wanted them to trust him so much that even though they were about to die, they still trusted God. And so God will push you sometimes. Sometimes they didn't have food. They didn't really know what their future held. How many know that? But what God was trying to find out is, do you... He gave him enough evidence that he would take care of him. He was just saying, trust me for once. Trust me for once. Trust me for once. And see, I can't do anything to make you trust God. There's not a thing that I can do to make anybody in here trust God. So do not stone me. If things get really bad, do not you know, have stones. I'm faster than I look, though. You'll have a hard time hitting me. All right. Praise the Lord, but this grumbling, he's telling the Corinthian church to be really careful not to fall in the trap that they found, fell into. They tested the Lord, and then they grumbled at all of his leaders. And God doesn't want us to do that. The last thing they did, I just found out I can preach long even when I don't have notes. <clears throat> last thing they did, Okay, that was the last thing they did. All right, but then the Lord begins to give them His cup. And before we take communion today, I want to give you just a little bit, just a few words that He gives us that you may not notice about His cup. One, it's called the cup of fellowship or the cup we call communion. How many know that that word means kononia in the Greek? And kononia literally means <clears throat> communicating intimacy at the highest level. How I many know that? When we take this cup of communion, this cup of fellowship, this kononia, God at the highest level is communicating fellowship. He's saying you're sharing he said, you're sharing fellowship or communication at the highest level with me. I've opened my canopy over you, and I want to know you uh, like nobody has ever known you. This is his invitation to us, Kalania. <clears throat> Second thing, this cup is called the cup of thanksgiving. Combines two words, uh, which literally are compound of two words, meaning favored one and Christ. Eucharistia is the word. So it's called the 
cup of thanksgiving. How many know that a lot of the problems that we have in our Christian life is because we're not thankful people? In fact, a lot of us walk around and the cloud that's over the top of us is a dark one. Is that the truth? But this cup says you're the favored one of Christ. You're the favored one of Christ. And those who drink that cup truly understand that there's a cloud of blessing that's over your life and He wants to bless you. He loves you. He wants to care for you. He wants to protect you. He wants to guide you. And when we drink that cup, we need to understand it doesn't matter what people think I am. It doesn't matter whether I fail. What matters is I've given my life completely to God and I am His favored one. And when you drink that cup, you need to see that canopy of His grace and His love and His mercy. And some people, all they can ever see is a dark cloud over their life. They walk up, they get up in the morning and it's negative. They lay down at night and it's negative. Woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. And it's negative and it's a black cloud everywhere they go. And everywhere you go, all you're telling the world is, my God is not enough. It's a lack of faith. It's not a negative disposition. It's a lack of faith. It's unbelief. It means the blood of Jesus is powerless. The blood of Jesus means nothing. My God does not bless me ever, ever, ever. It's shutting all that grace out and saying, my God is not enough. And God is saying, let the black clouds roll away. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. You've got a future that's brighter than anybody in this world. And God's saying, I have blessed you, I've loved you with an everlasting love. These people would not receive His love. How much did He do for these people? More than anybody in the whole, every nation of the world, He blessed that people. But what did they keep saying? He left us here to die. He's not going to take care of us. He's going to leave us thirsty. He's not going to let us eat. God did this, God did that. Moses, you're terrible. Aaron, you're terrible. The black cloud followed them everywhere when the cloud of God's glory was there as a canopy. And God's saying, lift your head up. It's the enemy that's made you like that. The enemy has made you negative. The enemy has made you uh, a pessimist and not an optimist. God wants to roll it away. Let me tell you something. Depression is like tying a rope with a weight on your leg. You willingly tie it. And you feel yourself drowning deeper and deeper and deeper into an ocean of depression and despair. And the longer you let it stay on your leg, and the longer you let it remain there, the deeper and deeper and deeper you're going to go. God says, just cut it off. Glory in your Lord. You have a bright future. I am with you every step of the way. You don't have anything to be have anxiety about, anything to have fear about. Drink in my cup of thanksgiving. You're the favored one. Another thing, it's called the cup of remembrance. The anamnesis, kind of the opposite of amnesia. The cup of remembrance. Really what it's saying is not remember me like we always say. It actually is saying, don't forget me. The cup of don't forget me. That's what it's called, the cup of don't forget me. As often as you drink this, remember how much I love you. Remember how much I care about you. 
And how much do we carry around because we don't remember that? We remember that God really loves us. Praise the Lord. And the last one, actually there's several more. <clears throat> I wrote these notes 20 years ago. You know, I looked for a half an hour to find these. It's also called the cup of judgment. How do you know that? So if you don't examine yourself and you're not under this canopy of love and grace, it is a cup of judgment. Because I would not receive what He had for me. I, I didn't take the table of blessing that was before me. It's called a cup of judgment. Another thing it's called, it's called a cup of proclamation. Catechello, which I know I mispronounced it again means to proclaim the gospel. It means you are proclaiming to the world that His kingdom is coming every time you drink it. It's a proclamation that Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I'm in the kingdom with you. It's a proclamation every time I drink that cup of communion that this is the cup of the kingdom. We're all kingdom people. We may be living in a world that's lost and broken, but man, every time I think about Him, I think about the kingdom. I think about how things are supposed to be and not how things are. I think about my healing. I think about everything in that world that's not going to be like this world. I think about the future and how bright my future is. I think about a world with no death, no tears, no sorrow, no division, no filthiness around me, no harm done to the innocent. I think of a world that is perfect. And when I drink that cup, I say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm ready. Come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. <clears throat> and the last one, I kind of, kind of merged them together, but it's called the cup of the banquet. The cup of the banquet. We're all invited to in the presence of the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Worship team.